Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. Where we get to talk horses. We're your hosts. I'm John Hare. I'm Renee Hare. Bill Mooney worked as a buckaroo in the Great Basin when he was a young man in the 1970s. We had Bill on the show back in September to talk about his life cowboying and the response was great. Bill and I have been in contact since that first show and I wanted to hear more. I asked Bill to come back and tell the story of the wreck at Trout Creek. If you've listened to the Woe Podcast very long, you know I love a good story. Good stories have an element to them that's hard to put your finger on. But I knew this was a good story when Bill said this before we even began. And I'll talk about some things I've never written about before, John, and you'll see what I mean at the end of this. Before we get to the story, there's one more piece of information you'll need to know. Good stories also have a special element. Call it spiritual or magical or just part of being human. Bill shares an event that happened in the 8th grade and how that event seemed to be a common thread running through his life. Now, something I'm going to talk about here a little, John, because I'm going to get kind of personal here. And so I'll talk about moments that I had. And the first moment happened when I was in the eighth grade. We were working on confirmation and the church emptied and I went outside and I was standing on the steps. They were, they were rock steps with a handrail and I was just standing there and I had this moment where I was at peace with the world serenity and calm and it just lasted for a little bit and I never thought about it and off I went well years later at the Spanish ranch I would get into those moments I'd always be by myself like I said I, I, I rode a lot by myself at the Spanish ranch it would be a calm day everything would be going good Maybe I was riding a young horse and I just doctored his first cow and everything went well, or maybe I was riding a good, trustworthy saddle horse. I'd just be riding along, and then everything would go quiet for me. And I would go into one of those moments where I knew I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was a cowboy on some big ranch, and, and life was good. And, then, and it just lasted for a little bit, and then that was it. For this interview, Renee was traveling, and I handled the duties alone. It turns out it was a better deal that that happened. Bill paints a wonderful picture of what it must have been like to buckaroo in the Great Basin, whether it was gathering, branding, or moving the cavy. You won't hear much from me. Bill is a great storyteller. Sometimes his host, my job is to stay out of the way of the guest. Working on ranches like the Spanish Ranch, which was part of the Ellison, which was a million and a half acres, Bill gives you, fair listener, the feeling for what it was like to buckaroo on the big outfits. In between the lines of the story, you'll hear history. Camouflaged by the details are principles of buckaroo horsemanship. I listened to this story over and over while editing, and you'll hear in this tale many special things. The buckaroo's job 
Whatever it happened to be that day, got done. If he hustled and all went well and he got done early, good. If he dawdled or things went south, which they often did working with cattle and horses, he kept at it until the job was done. I kind of miss those times in this country. Sorry, I didn't mean to preach. The show is about a good story, so let's get to it. Bill tells a story from his home in Nevada with his wife Aline and their dog sitting by his side. Bill, when did the wreck at Trout Creek happen? It happened the last year I was on the Spanish Ranch. Maybe I ought to back up a little bit and okay. refresh your, okay. your, your listeners. For your new people who have never heard this before, explain to them a little like what it was about back then, Buckaroo. And this would have been in uh, probably 1974 on the Spanish Ranch. And the Spanish Ranch was the headquarters of the Ellison Ranching Company. Mm-hmm. There were seven ranches. Spanish Ranch ran a wagon, and then about 50 miles away was Squaw Valley. Squaw Valley and the White House ran together. Actually, they had more cattle than the Spanish Ranch. So when this all took place, Squaw Valley didn't have a buckaroo crew for the, the three springs that I was on that Spanish Ranch wagon. It's unbelievable the size of those ranches, John. The Ellison Ranching Company was about a million and a half acres. Oh, wow. Now, I was riding at the Gamble Ranch last month, and I was talking to a cowboy that came out of Kansas, and I asked him, what is it, the big difference you notice being in Nevada? And he says, the size of these ranches. He says, they're just huge. And he's right there. They are big. They're, they're really big. Now, I showed up at the Spanish Ranch in January of 72, and it was cold. Spanish Ranch is a miserable, miserable place in the winter. And in those days, they still had company horses. That means the company furnished the horses. There were no private horses allowed. You rode what they gave you, and that was it. You stayed in their bunkhouse, which was a should have been closed down, but... A cowboy would just bring his saddle and bedroll. Yeah, saddle and a bedroll and snaffle bit and a last rope. You could probably get away with it. Uh-huh. But you better have some winter clothes. In the winter, the cowboy action would pretty much shut down. I mean, what we would do, we were out every day horseback. Mm-hmm. But we would do what they call ride feed grounds. And we were all bundled up like little Eskimos. Rubber overshoes and long johns and winter caps and winter coats and gloves and then you'd go out and uh, you'd ride through those feed grounds and that's just a big pasture where they've got these cattle and there'd be somebody out there feeding them and then what we would do the buckaroos would do is we'd look to make sure there was a little hay left over from the day before because once they started feeding they wanted those cattle to get as much as they could Mm-hmm. And then we would uh, break open the water holes. Little creeks would freeze over, and we had a mattock and a shovel, and we'd chop that ice and, and get that water running again. And sometimes mm-hmm. it would be so cold that by the time I got down to the end of the little ditch that I was making in the ice, the upper part of it would be freezing over again. But there was nothing <sighs> I could do. I'd have to move on to the next feed ground. And, and how many cattle would be at one of those watering holes? I'm coming out, I forget now, John, but I would want to say around 300 head. They fed with teams and wagons. The hay was loose, and so they had a, the feeder went down there, and he, and he pitched it on his on his hay wagon. Uh-huh. And quite often, 
uh, after I got to know those meadows, I would ride by myself. That happened a lot at the Spanish Ranch. They had a camp down there where they had two or three feeders. And those guys would leave their teams in the haystack at night and water them. And then they'd ride a saddle horse back to their camp. Then the next morning, they'd take that saddle horse, ride it down to the feed ground, catch their team, water them, harness them, and they'd have their hay pitched from the day before, and then they'd feed that wagon off. They'd feed all three or four loads, depending on, on how many cattle they had. Got it. It was a tough, tough life for those guys. Sounds like it. But they had winter work, which a lot of cowboys, once it got wintertime, the ranches would just send them away and say, come back in the spring. Right. Come back when we turn out. But up here, it's tough to find cowboys, especially in the winter. So if you had somebody, you know, you tried to keep them, and, and we rode every day. Bill Kane was the cow boss, and, and his grandfather told him when he was a kid, never lose a day's work on account of the weather. And he stuck to that. You know, if, if we, we had something to do, we'd do it. But once that weather started in, that was it. We we went to ride and feed grounds. Man. And like I said, I once I learned those meadows, I, I usually rode by myself. Those meadows are huge. There were eight or ten of them. And like one of them was, was a full section, one mile by one mile. You know, not only was the ranch, the outside big, but those the deeded ground or the hay meadows was big too. And on the Spanish ranch, there were lots of willows going down those creeks. It took me a while, but I finally learned where all the gates were, and I could move cattle or I could ride a saddle horse anywhere on that ranch. I knew the shortcuts, which gate to go to, but I couldn't do that in a pickup. In a pickup, you had to have a certain place where you cross, like if they had a pipe in an irrigation ditch, and if it snowed, you couldn't see that pipe, and you better know where it was, or you're going to get the front wheels of that pickup stuck in that ditch. Yeah. That was fine. I, I could get around those meadows just for the simple reason I was out there, and I, and I learned how to get around them. Then in the springtime, the snow would melt off, and then we'd start getting ready to turn out. And what we'd do is we'd gather those cattle, and the ones that were the most pregnant that were going to calf the soonest, we'd keep them in one field and then we'd move the others to another field. And what we were looking to do was to brand about a thousand calves on the ranch. And then those other cows that were going to calve later, we would put them groups of about a thousand and then we'd drive them down the river and then out into the brush. It would take us two days to do that. So in the spring, we were, we were pretty busy. Then another thing we used to do is we'd pack salt on, on horses. Mm -hmm. For the most part, we didn't truck very much, but with the packing we did, we, we did truck those horses and, of course, the salt. And, and uh, the horses we packed were not the most dependable horses. They were horses that couldn't make the saddle string or the workhorse string. And, and did the, the cows need that salt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, what would happen if they didn't get it? Well, it's going to do something to their system, John. I can't, you know, I'm not a vet, so I can't get technical about it. But you can tell when those cattle are salt hungry. They'll get to licking around, and like if there's a little bit of alkali or something like that, they'll get to licking it. And if you throw salt out to them, man, they'll just glom onto it. Wow. It's kind of like the old-time sailors used to have to have limes on the ship when they'd cross the ocean. Exactly. You bet. Yep, that's what it was like. And what we do out there is Spanish Ranch had a lot of high country. And so we wouldn't put that salt down on the water. We would put it up in the, on the high ridges. 
and then ridges will have a peak, and then it'll drop down into a little saddle, and then go back up to a peak. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Kind of like a W with with a rounded bottom. Right, right. And then we take that, we pack that salt into those saddles. See, in the afternoon, those cattle would be there for the wind, the breezes blow through, and keep the and be cooler for them, and then keep the flies off them. Then in the evening, they get up, graze on down to the water, drink down there, and maybe spend the night down there, graze back on up, and then spend the day up on that salt lick. So at that time, there weren't too many roads out there. Now with all these four-wheelers and these good four-wheel drive pickups, there could be you know roads going up and down each of those, right. those ridges. But... I wouldn't ride up and down the ridges. What I would do is side pass around the side of it and try to keep my elevation about the same. You see what I mean? No, I'm not sure. Okay, don't ride from the saddle straight up to the peak and then straight down to the next saddle. I just grade around the side of the hill. Oh, I got it now. Yes, yep. And, and the best thing, if I could find a Mustang trail, that was the best way to travel. Because Mustang trails keep their elevation right about the same. Huh. And so if I could get on a Mustang trail, that, that was easy going. That, that was the best way to go. Now, like I said, those pack horses we had were, they were soured horses. Like there was one called Baracho. He had a bad habit. When a cowboy got on him in the morning, he'd tip over backwards. So he went into the pack string. There were three workhorses. Izzy was a mare, and she wasn't very big. And uh, so she had a hard time pulling those wagons when they were loaded. So she went into the pack string. Now, why did they keep her? I I don't know. But there were horses like that. That was Izzy's only job, and she only packed a little bit. But in those days, you know, they had lots and lots of horses, and they that was Izzy's job. She just went out and packed a couple of times a year, and that's all she did. Wow. And then there was Peter and Bill, the notorious Peter and Bill, two big stout workhorses. And they could pull those hay wagons. But they didn't pull those hay wagons for the simple reason the feeders couldn't handle them. They were wild. So we got them as pack horses. Peter was a, was a big bay horse and Bill was a big sorrel horse. At that time, everything was hobble broke. Saddle horses and, of course, Skeeter and Bill. And what I mean by hobble broke on all fours, we would take a gunny sack, flip it around the front legs, hobble the front legs together, and take another gunny sack. Now, this wasn't a big gunny sack full. It was stripped down and rolled up. Right. And then flip and then hobble their hind feet together. So that way you had them hobbled on all fours. And the idea is to get them to think that they're, they're secure. They can't run off. Well, they could. A horse could gallop out when he's hobbled on all fours. But eventually, if your back hobbles don't break, he'll eventually stick a hind leg over that front leg and down and go. But that's what we did. We tied those horses up and hobbled them up. And then, then we had pack saddles. We used sawbuck pack saddles with panniers. And panniers are canvas bags that you hang over your, your sawbuck. Mm-hmm. And every horse packed at least four blocks of salt. And each block weighed 50 pounds. So that's 200 pounds on a, oh. on a pack horse, which isn't much. A cowboy and his saddle are going to weigh every bit of 200 pounds. Right. The saddle horse is going to pack that all day where that pack horse is only going to pack it to where he's unloaded and the rest of the day he's just going empty. Now, Bill was a special case. He packed six blocks, 300 pounds. Wow. And I always tied Bill into Skeeter. 
Peter led really well. Well, actually, they both led really, really well. When I got a path, I'd head out, and when I got to the first salt lick, I'd face my saddle horse into Skeeter, and I would take Skeeter's lead rope and dally it around my horn three or four times, and I would step off and hobble my saddle horse. Then I'd go back, and I'd hobble Skeeter on all fours. Then I'd go back to Bill, then I'd hobble him on all fours. Then I would take two blocks of soft off Bill, and then start unhobbling all the way back to my saddle horse, get on and ride to the next salt lick. And then I'd repeat all that uh, hobbling again, and I'd take two two blocks off Skeeter that time, and then move on to the next one, two off Bill, two off Skeeter, and then two off Bill again, and I'd head back to the truck or the wagon, wherever wherever we happened to be working at the time. Now, like I said, in the springtime, we got busy. We were branding calves, and then the snowstorm would come along, and then we'd ride feed ground, and then we'd go back to working cattle, go pack salt for a day, and then come back out. And that's when I ran into Skeeter and Bill. And the first time I packed them, I was with a guy named Truman Walker. And Truman Walker had been there for three or four years. He knew the country, so we went off together, and Truman was really slow. So I had Skeeter and Bill all loaded up. I had them tied to the stock truck, and I left them hobbled on all fours, which is probably a mistake. But I went over to help Truman. I mean, I had my 10 blocks of salt on Skeeter and Bill, and he's over there still putting salt in his second horse. So I went over there and helped him. When I came back, Bill bucked all his salt off right there, tied right to that truck, hobbled on all <laughs> And I was amazed. And I said to Truman, I, I thought these were gentle pack horses, like the St. Bernard dogs going out with their whiskey under their tied on their neck and saving people, you know, tried and true and independable. And he said, oh, no, 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 not Skeeter and Bill. And he said, that Bill's going to hurt somebody one of these days. Oh. And it's out. Truman was really scared of both of those horses. A couple of years later, we were camped up at a place called Cottonwood. And one morning, Kane told Truman, pack Skeeter and Bill, pack salt. So we went out and cowboyed and branded, and we came back, and there's Skeeter and Bill tied up in the corral where, where we had left that morning, packed saddles still laying on the ground, and the salt all right there, and Truman wasn't to be found. Well, we went in and ate and then took a little nap, and then Kane came over to me, and he said, hey, I, I talked to Truman, and he told me he's just scared of those horses. He can't do it. He said, I can't fire him. I mean, how can I fire a guy if he, if he admits that he's scared? So would you mind taking Skeeter and Bill and just go pack that salt out. Don't make a big round trip like he was going to do. Just get that salt out of here and get it up where you... Use your head. He was always telling me that. Use your head. <laughs> Put that salt out where you think it'll be good. And, and I said, sure, you know, I'll do it. And, and so I caught a saddle horse and loaded him up and away I went. Now, I had some terrible wrecks with, with Skeeter and Bill. Poor old Bill was just scared to death of everything. He's just going along and, you know, if Skeeter happened to trip over a rock, well, that would spook Bill and he'd take the buck and buck his salt off, which would scare Skeeter, and Skeeter would take the running, and, you know, sometimes I'd dally up and hold them, and sometimes I'd be a little too slow, and they'd get away from me. When they got away from me, then it, the salt was scattered all over the place, and I'd lose them, and then have to go back and find them, and then come back and load them up again, and, oh, yeah, those two were a nightmare. I, I wrote in a story one time, if there's a horse heaven... I wonder if Skeeter and Bill made it. And I don't know. Maybe I'll find out one of these days. It's hard for me to imagine as much work as these horses do that that you'd get a horse like Bill 
who would just be, it sounds like he was afraid of his own shadow. He was. He was. And those horses didn't do a whole lot of work because nobody could handle them. They were only used in the spring to pack salt, and it was my bad luck that I happened to draw them over, <laughs> over, and over. Might have been the only one foolish enough to, to, to handle them. Well, other guys did too, but, but, but when I was there, I usually, I usually had Skeeter and Bill. And so we got our spring work done, and then they would pull the wagon out, usually around the 20th of May, and it would always be on a Sunday. We were supposed to get Sunday afternoons off, but they knew Saturday night we'd go to town and stuff. But so anyway, <laughs> we out Sunday mornings. We didn't get our Sunday afternoon, just the way it was. So our first camp was a place called Four Mile, and then we'd work that for three or four or five days, and then we'd move camp again. Well, I never got to move with the cavy. I always got to pack and salt. And so Kane, at that first year, of course, I didn't know where I was going, so Kane told me, you ride up four mile here, you go up into a big basin, you get up high there and you'll hit the Mustang trails and, and then go around to the saddles and drop your salt off. And be careful because there's an old, old fence up there and all the posts are falling down and that wire's just laying on the ground. Don't let your saddle horse or skeeter build, you know, cross that wire or else you're going to get in a big wreck. So I went up there and I dropped all 10 blocks off and I was riding along. I knew which direction the wagon was going to be and I hit that fence. And golly, I rode along it for half a mile anyway, and, and I had to cross it, but there's no way to cross it. So finally, I just got off my saddle horse, hobbled him up, hobbled Skeeter up, hobbled Bill up, and I started packing rock. I took that wire, there were four strands of wire, and I got it all wadded up as best I could to one strand, and then I would lay rocks over it for about 10 feet long. Then I went back, unhobbled all those horses, and I took my saddle horse over, and you know, I used that, those rocks as a bridge to cross that wire. Right. It turns out it stayed that way. And for the next two years, I'd, I'd, I'd hit that crossing again. So it worked out well for me. And on those panniers, we would droop them over. The sawbucks have kind of an X. That's, that's the way a sawbuck saddle Right. And we'd, we'd hang those panniers over the sawbuck. And then I'd take the hobbles and I would tie them from the front sawbuck to the back one. And that would keep my panniers from coming off in a wreck. And that was just, you know, just the way I did it when I when I had Peter and Bill. Actually, I came to have it with me, and I did it, I did it that way with all of them. So the first year I packed salt, and, you know, from camp to camp, I never I never did get to move with the cavity. That's too bad. Moving the horses is really easy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we had about 90, 90 horses with us. That Spanish Ranch cavity, there's about 130 then there were the colts, say there were 60 or 70 in that bunch. But when we traveled outside with the cavy, we took about 90 horses with us. And then you just trot them from camp to camp. One or two guys to get out in the front, two or three guys in the back, and you just keep those horses trotting. Don't let them graze. Line them out and trot, trot them. And those are all native horses. They, they knew where they were going. Right. And moving horses was really easy. Although that... Spanish Ranch cavy had been spilled a few times, and they'd break and run and just run off just to let you know that they, they could do it, and then they'd finally stop, and we'd gather them up again and line out and trot on to the next camp. But I never got to do that. That sounds like one of those fun jobs. <laughs> yeah. I was on that spring wagon for three, three different times, 72, 73, and 74. And like I said earlier, the Spanish Ranch had a wagon, and Squaw Valley had a wagon. Squaw Valley didn't have a buckaroo crew, 
So we swung over to the Squaw Valley side, uh-huh. cowboy that. And of course, we didn't know the country. So Stanley Ellison would come up, and he'd talk to Kane and, you know, kind of point out the high spots to him and, you know, do this, do that. So that's, we we gathered those cattle and branded them, and, and then we'd spend, a, oh, I don't know, a week or 10 days over on that Squaw Valley side, branded what we could up in that high country. We'd hit a place called Scraper Springs. That wasn't a bad camp, and we'd ride out of that for three or four days, and then we'd move over to a place called Trout Grit. And it was just a little creek with some willows on it, mm-hmm. right at the base of the mountain range there. So the first time I was there, it was time for us to move camp. So, of course, I'm going to pack salt. Right. And, of course, I get Peter and Bill. And there was another cowboy. He, he had a couple saddle horses that he was going to pack. So King told us where to go. Mooney, you go left. This other guy, he's going. Well, the other guy was a little little hesitant. He he kind of got lost on one of those circles one time. He was a little nervous about where to go. So King just sent him with me. So the two of us just rode rode out. We had four pack horses. Now on a deal like that, see, I would have I would have unloaded Bill first, get that three hundred pounds off him, right? And then there we just start staggering those horses. However, we went. And it was a lot of easy. Well, it wasn't easier with when two guys were there because I still had to hobble all my horses to get them on, you know, to get them unloaded. But that's what we did. And the first year there, there was no problems. Then the second year, same thing. Truman Walker and I packed that time. Of course, I had Skeeter and Bill, and Truman went off, and and, and he didn't want to be anywhere near me. He didn't. He didn't want to be anywhere <laughs> close to me. So he'd get us, you know, miles away from me, and I'd, I'd pack, and then we'd go down and, you know, meet wherever the wagon was going. Well, on the third year, same thing. So we gathered that country, cowboyed it, and then we, we were going to move the next day. That morning we got up, and Kane was out there. He always woke those saddle horses. So I walked out there, and everybody, we all knew, I'm going to get Skeeter and Bill, and I'm going to pack, and I'll meet up at the next camp. And Kane said, Mooney, you're packing salt today. What horses do you want? And to this day, I don't know why he asked me what horses I wanted. Maybe he was just testing me to see if I was going to back out of Skeeter and Bill. So I manned up and I said something stupid. I said, I don't care. And he said, you don't care? I don't care. Skeeter and Bill. (laughs) <laughs> my, my, what a surprise. So I had a saddle horse called Dollar Bill. He and I had packed Peter and Bill quite a bit. And Kane was always good about it. When when I was packing, he would go over there and he'd saddle those horses and help me get them all loaded up and stuff. And so I said, where are we going? And he said, well, I don't know. I'm either going to go to the winners or I'm going to take the wagon over to Four Mile. He said, I just don't know. See, he always drove the wagon when we pulled out. The wagon was mounted on an old Army 6x6. He would drive the wagon, and we usually had a little pickup with us, and somebody would drive that, and then the rest of the cowboys would take the cabbie. And, of course, on that particular day, I was heading out cross-country with a pack string. But you didn't know where they were going to end up that, that by the end of the day, then? Yeah, yeah, because Kane didn't know. He right. just wasn't sure where he wanted to go. He said he was going to kind of, you know what he could as far as cattle went and that this and that and and he said when you get up high there take a look around <laughs> so, <I> said, <laughs> so off I went now to get out of Trout Creek 
there was a big wrangle field there. All those camps had a wrangle field where the horses stayed. So I had to ride those horses up a switchback. It was a big, steep hill. Now, switchback, I mean, you know, ride at an angle and then turn right and ride. Right. And then go left and left, right, left, right up till you get to the top. And then just up over the top, over the crest of the hill a little ways was the fence with a gate. That was the end of the wrangle field. And there was a little two-track road there, hunters made. They'd come through that gate, see, and then they'd drive down over and stop, and then they'd peek over the edge there and look down into Trout Creek. Oh, I hit that little road, and things were going good. I mean, I'd never had a, had a wreck out of Trout Creek, because, you know, by then, we're in the latter part of June. Right. There were two things that were different. I had a great, big, strong halter, uh, leather halter on Skeeter, and it had a really, really soft cotton rope, like somebody had untwisted it and then braided it back up or something. And I don't know where that rope came from. I'd never seen it before. But it was a nice, soft cotton rope. And then I guess some of our hobbles, gunny sack hobbles, got lost or broken or stole or whatever. So I had a one pair of sheepherder hobbles. And a sheepherder hobble is a leather band with a buckle, two leather bands with a buckle. And then what connects them is chains that are about two or three inches of diameter. And there would be three or four lengths of those chains. Mm-hmm. And then what the sheep herders would do is they'd put those sheep herder hobbles on their horses, see? And then that way those horses could move around and graze at night. Oh, okay. Those pack outfits were, well, just by guess and by golly, you know. They were broken up and not never maintained. And, you know, they were just pieces of junk is what they were. So anyway, I had a, a set of sheep herder hobbles, and I, and I put them on Skeeter, him being the gentler of the two horses. So off I went, I got up over the top, and I hit that little two-track road, and things are going good. Beautiful morning, and you know, just a good day, and all of a sudden, Bill blew up. I don't know what happened. And of course, that scared Skeeter, and Skeeter took off running. Well, by now, I'm a seasoned hand with these two, and I had that big, long, soft cotton rope, and I took three or four turns around my horn, I grabbed a now a bit rain in each hand and I was ready. And then that road kind of curved off to the left. And we're running by now. And Dollar Bill went with the curve of the road, but Skeeter went straight. And I shouldn't say this, John, but I thought, ha ha, maybe when he hits me into that rope, I'll break his neck. But I didn't break his neck. That nice, soft, cotton lead rope that I've been bragging about broke. And, of course, Skeeter got his head down, and he bucked his salt off. And then Bill bucked his salt off. So there's ten blocks of salt laying on the ground. And the two of them turned around and went straight down that hill. The hill that I spent 20, 25 minutes switchbacking up while they just took right straight down to the bottom. <laughs> and I looked down there, and the cabbie and the wagon were still there. And I thought, well, good. Those horses will run down there, and Kane will get them, and if anything's broke, you know, well, the lead rope is broke, but they'll patch things up, and uh, maybe Kane will send the cowboy back up with those horses to me, so I'll just stay up on top and get those 10 blocks gathered up, and then I'll, you know, get them set up so I can just lead the horse right between them and then load them up. Right. And I load on down, well, I see the wagon pulling out. Kane had left, and later he told me, this is kind of funny, 
<laughs> he said, they're there, and the cowboys are about ready to take the cabbie, and Kane's going to pull out with the wagon. And somebody says, look, here comes two horses. And Kane says, that'll be Mooney. You guys stay here and help him. I'm getting the hell out of here. And he jumped in the <laughs> wagon, and off he went. <laughs> so I could see him driving off, and I thought, well, maybe he didn't see me. But hopefully, you know, he'll send the cowboy up here. And me. Well, he didn't send the cowboy. I rode down there, and they said, yeah, we saw your horses. We've got a new halter on Skeeter for you, and we've re reset the saddles. And Kane left, and he said for you to go back up, and we'll meet you wherever we're going to meet you, because they still didn't know where we were going. <laughs> so I switched back up, back up that hill, and I got to the top, and, of course, I had to go through all my hobble process and get those horses loaded up. You mean to tell me that of all those cowboys, they couldn't have spared one from the driving the cavy to go up there and help you? I... <laughs> no, that, that, that's just the way it was. Kane is reputation. Uh -huh. In today's world, they'll talk about the Spanish ranch horses and what a hard-ass Kane was. That's just the way it was, John. <laughs> well, I took Skeeter and Bill back up the top. I went and I loaded them up and I went through the gate. Closed the gate and I got back on them and then I then I headed out. I I knew where I was going. Same thing. Go through my hobble routine. Take two blocks off a of bill. I'll unhobble them. Go back up. So I'm scattering salt. So now I'm down to Skeeter's unloaded, and Bill still has two on him. And I'm going across the side of the hill. And things are going good. And all of a sudden, Bill takes a big jump and snorts and and I dallied up, but. By now, you know, we'd been out a couple hours. They were a little tired, and, and nothing mm -hmm. happened. So I went through my hobble session and went back there, and, and what had happened is one of the salt blocks, you know, there was one block on Bill's left, one on his right. Well, you know, those panniers were just wired up and patched up as best could be. Well, the salt block fell through, you know, wore a hole through the bottom of the pannier and fell out, and that's what oh. killed. So there was no way I could fix that thing, and there was no way... You know, I could put another salt, a, a block of salt back in it. So I just made a salt block right there, right on the side of that hill, right between the two saddles. You know, not the right place, but, you know, sometimes you got to go to plan B. Well, anyway, I had it off back. I'm going to a place called the Winners. It belonged to the IL Ranch. But I got up on top of that mountain range, and I could see the Winners down below me, but I couldn't see the cavy, and I couldn't see the wagon. And way back off to my left would be a would be a buckaroo camp called Dry Creek. And I, I was sure they wouldn't have gone into Dry Creek. And like I said, the winters were straight below me, and then, then Four Mile was off to my right. And that's probably where they were. Mm -hmm. But I, I'd just fallen too far behind them. You know, I can't even see a speck of dust. Well, I thought I'll just drop down to the winters. There's water down there. I can water these horses and then pick up some sign. A wagon and 90 head of horses, you know, I'll, I'll know whether they've come through there or not. So I dropped down into the winters, and, and sure enough, they've been there. Okay, that tells me they're going they're going to Four Mile. So I aired dollar bills back, and what that means is I undid my cinch, and I lifted the back of my saddle and my saddle blankets up, and I, and I let the fresh air get, on, you know, get to his back. Mm -hmm. Let him drink. And then those sawbuck saddles, have a breast collar in the front and a britching in the back. And to be really a good, true horseman, I should have aired those Peter and Bill's backs, but I didn't. I didn't want to go through all that nonsense with them. And 
By now, those, those cinches, are, they, they were what they call center fire rigs. They only had one cinch. And those cinches were hanging about a half inch below their bellies. I mean, those horses had really gammed up by then. Mm-hmm. Well, I undid their breast collars where they could get their heads down and drink. And then I cinched all the bill up and I put the breast collars back on them. And then, then I got on and, and then I was going to line out. I, I knew where I was going. I was going to four mile. It'd be about an hour, maybe a little over. I'd, I'd hit a trot and, and, and head to camp. I didn't know it right then, John, but pretty soon I was going to go into one of my moments. So I took off, and there was the Allied fence on my left, and there was a little dirt road there, kind of parallel to that fence. And, of course, that cabbie had just trotted down that very road. So that dirt was all torn up, and it was late afternoon and hot and no wind. I was just trotting down that road, and I was young then, you know. It it, it didn't mean nothing to me. I was tough. I was going to be late. I didn't care. I had more miles to go. I didn't care, you know. And I'll say this about Skeeter and Bill. They weren't crybabies. You know, we'd had our fight that morning, but, but it was late afternoon then. We were all tired, and we knew where we were at. We knew exactly where we were at, and we knew the only way we were going to get to the camp was to trot out and get there. And so that's what we did. We took off trotting. And Skeeter's, Skeeter's head was just right off of my right foot. Like I said, those horses really led well. It was hot and dusty, and, and they were blown out of their nostrils, you know, that, that dusty get up. And so the horses were blowing, and... Right. We're trotting along and their feet plodding along on the ground and I could hear that and, and sweat marks, sweat marks all over and, and, and there was a clear spot around Skeeter's left eye and the panniers were slapping against her side and those sheep herder chains were rattling. And so there I was trotting along and that's when I went into my moment, John. And I, I knew... I'm where I'm supposed to be, way out here in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows where I'm at, and this is this is where I belong. And then it was over. There's just something that happened in, in my life, and, and mostly at the Spanish Ranch. And th- this is going to sound odd, but some of the best days I ever had riding was the temperature was zero. The sun would be out. No clouds, no wind. And, you know, I knew how to dress for it. And, and if you were cold and if the snow was not too deep, you could trot your horse right out and get warm. And just some of the best days were, were those days like that, riding along. And, and that's when I would go into those moments. Was there a little part of you that when you said no one knew where I was at, did that add to that feeling, just the fact that it was you, the horses, Probably, John, because way down deep, I was and and still am kind of a half-loner. Being by myself doesn't bother me. When we were in the the Buckaroo camps, and and later, as I figured it out, I had my own private custom-built tent, and there was no such thing sitting around the campfire and singing songs and all that, that. That, that just didn't happen, not on the wagons I was on. So in the evening, I would go in and I'd read. I, I, I always read a lot. 
And so I just get in my bed and I would read. And when it got too dark to read, I'd just go to sleep. So yeah, that could have very well had something to do with it. You know, like I said, sometimes those moments would hit me, and and I was at peace with myself. I knew I knew I was where I was supposed to be, and I was thankful for that. You know, I didn't make a big thing out of it. I don't I don't know if I ever talked to you about the moment, Celine. She, yeah, I've never even... T- this is Aline's first time. Wow. It's just that I always kept to myself. Like I said, there's lots of stuff that I don't talk about. And it turns out I never even talked to, to Aline about moments. I, mm. I figured I'd have told her. But anyway, I guess I didn't. So we trotted back to the camp, and <laughs> they just threw my bedroll and my tent on the ground. So I, I unsaddled my horses, and I walked back to the camp, and I put my tent up, and then we worked that country for two or three days, and then we pulled the wagon back, and then, uh, then we went to the ranch. And the Spanish ranch used to lay all the cowboys off when the wagon came in. But there were four of us that Cain wanted to keep. I was the oldest at 25, so he kept us that summer. And then we went into the fall works, and there was the four of us, and then we picked up some more cowboys. So we started, you know, those cattle started drifting home, and then we'd work them, and and we'd get caught up as best we could. And then probably the middle of, well, the first of November, maybe, we'd take the wagon back out, and we'd start gathering those cattle again. And we'd spend two... Oh, a couple of weeks out there, maybe three weeks, I forget now. So then we'd come back in, and now we'd be working our cattle as best we could, you know, branding here and then working them out, steer pairs that are going to be sold, heifer pairs that are going to be sold. You know, we classed all those cattle up, and, and Kane had been there for, oh, 13 years by that time, so he had a system worked out, and it worked really well. And so we stayed busy. I mean, fall is a busy time of the year. And then December rolled around, and then the, the snow and the cold weather started coming in. So we went back to riding feed grounds. And it turned out that was a hard winter. I would be sent down to the far end. For those that know the Spanish ranch, I would go down to the uh, river ranch, the little Timothy, the big Timothy. I'd swing back up into Abe. So I had a, a long ways to ride. And the snow was so deep that I couldn't trot my horse. And so I'd get cold. And sometimes I'd get off, I'd be so cold, sometimes I'd get off and lead my horse and walk and kind of warm up that way. And then I'd get back on and I'd ride. And I'd, I'd never be back in time for lunch. I wouldn't get back till like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. We had an old cook there named Jim Shaw, typical old ranch alcoholic cook. <laughs> quite a sense of humor. He was a little older guy. Bean blender and 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 he loved to bake and so he knew I was you know he'd check and he'd see he'd see that I wasn't there at noon so he'd take a plate of food for me and put it in the uh, what do they call it a hot hot oven or a steam oven or something like uh, that keep it warm he'd give me that food then he'd come in and he'd sit with me and he'd talk to me and he said you know this is no kind of a life what you're leading you know I'm glad I'm not a cowboy I look at you. You can't even get in here at noon and eat. You're out there riding those horses, and you're in that cold, and you're late all the time, and, man, I'm glad I'm not a cowboy. So, okay. But I appreciate it. You know, he kept some food for me. And Well, when spring rolled around, the snow was melting, 
and I could trot right out. I could be back at the ranch by 10, 11 o'clock. And one day, Kane told me, you go down to your feed grounds and you come back here and I'll meet you. I want you to help me with something. Mm-hmm. And he said, if I'm not here, go to the cookhouse and have a cup of coffee. And that was the only time I ever went into the cookhouse to have a cup of coffee. That just wasn't done on the Spanish ranch. So I went in, and Jim Shaw says, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm done. I'm waiting on Kane. I'm going to have a cup of coffee. And he says, you know, my next life, I want to be a cowboy. Look at you. You're in here drinking coffee. Everybody else is out working. (laughs) (laughs) I'll soon they forget. (laughs) So one minute he's telling you to give up the life, and the next minute he's saying, "I, I want to be just yep. like you." <laughs> yep, he wants. Yeah, he doesn't want to be a cowboy. And then when the weather gets better, he wants to be a cowboy. <laughs> yes, but he was a good old guy. You know, I, I, I liked him. He, he's one of the very few cooks that I, you know, I have good things to say about. But then, of course, spring starts rolling around finally, and but we still we're working those cattle, John. But we can't get those cattle off the ranch. So instead of taking a thousand out, we 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 skipped turning out one time and we put two thousand head together. And then they took a D seven cat and plowed a trail out for us so we could hit that river and go down the river. So it took us two days to do that and then we rode back to the IL ranch. They had sent a, a, a stop truck down there for us. We climbed in that truck and, and I was the lead off man, so I you know, I, I could have pulled rank, and I could have rode up there in the truck. But we had an older guy with us, so I'd let him ride up in the in the front of the truck, and I'd ride in the back with the other cowboys. Mm-hmm. And the way we did that is we just took our, we loaded our two gentlest horses last, knowing we'd be back there riding with them, seeing those horses wouldn't kick us or go stupid on us or anything while we were back there with them. Right. And while we were driving on the gravel road, you know, it'd be rough, so I would stand up and just, hold on to the side of those racks, and then when we hit the pavement, it would smooth out, so I'd just sit down, and we were all bundled up. It was it was spring, yeah, but spring up in northern Uncle County, you're still wearing your winter clothes. So we would ride back, and, and it was in January, I told Kane that I'm going to pull out the 1st of May, and he said, okay. Well, then as the winter went on and spring rolled around, he said, well, you know, you don't want to leave. I want you to stay here. Well, I wouldn't say anything. Would it be rude to ask what a cowboy's wages was back then? No, not at all. The cowboy's wages was $250 a month, room and board. And I was a leadoff man, so I was making $350 a month. Wow. I was high paid, John. (laughs) (laughs) That's Nevada in the 70s. That would have been in 1974. Yes, sir. Spring of 74. Yeah. Even high paid like I was. In those days, I didn't have any silver or rawhide like I have today. You know, like the buckaroo style is. Even though I was a real buckaroo and that's what I did for a living, I never invested my money wisely in the stock market or I never put it into good equipment. You know, I had a custom-made saddle and that stuff, but... For the most part, I spent my money foolishly. But we finally got our thousand calves branded. We got our cattle turned out and spring rolled around. And and Aline was at the Spanish ranch by then. She was teaching school. And Elko County still has rural schools, grade one through eight. 
and her and Linda Bunch, they had a two-room schoolhouse, and so they were the teachers. So the spring rolled around, and it was time to go. And by now, Kane has told me he, he wants me to go back out on the wagon again because he was still short of cowboys. They weren't showing up like they should have been. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I should have, I should have stayed. I should have stayed. You know, I pretty much could have had my pick of horses. I was making good money, better money than I'd make anywhere else. And I knew the country. Life was good to me. And but I had made up my mind in January that May first was it. So on April thirtieth, I I unsaddled my horse. And it's funny, I can remember the first horse I rode at the Spanish Ranch, a horse called Ricochet. And Kane told me, if you can ride him from here to that white gate, you can ride him for the rest of the day. But I don't remember the last horse. The barn unsaddled him, and, and I walked up to the bunkhouse, and I don't remember turning around and looking back. You know, this is my last look. And I, I waited for Aline to come home from school, or not home, back to the ranch, from school. And then we got in my car, and we drove up to uh, Chicken Creek Summit. I wanted to see how deep the snow was up there. I remember this is April 30th. Yeah. And uh, there's a four-strand fence up there, and you could just barely see the third strand. That's how deep that snow was. Wow. And so I said to Aline, uh, you know, look, you can just barely see that wire. snow's deep. I said it was a hard winter. And she said, where are you going? And I said, I don't know. And she asked, will I ever see you again? You know, and I'd never, I'd never thought of that. So I said, I don't know. The next morning, I, I rolled it up. And I never worked for the Ellison Ranching Company again. And needless to say, John, I never laid eyes on Skeeter and Bill again either. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. That's the story of The Wreck at Trout Creek by Bill Mooney. Thanks to Bill for coming on the show. You can read more of Bill's stories on his Facebook page. Just look for Bill Mooney on Facebook. Thanks to Bill and Aline Mooney for coming on the show and sharing their Buckaroo life with us. Use the Apple Podcast app to subscribe to the Woe Podcast and you will never miss an episode. You can also subscribe on Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. They're all free, and they're all at wopodcast.com. Please visit wopodcast.com and sign up for our emails to stay up to date. Have a suggestion for a guest, a comment? Just email john at wopodcast.com. The Woe Podcast is produced by John and Renee Hare with support from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit wopodcast.com and click on the Patreon button. Thanks again for listening to the show and sharing it with your riding buddies. Until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.